Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry, and with me as mostly is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to talk about the Stanley Cup playoff qualifying round, round robin, call it what you will, uh, the upcoming round one of the NHL playoffs. We'll talk about the NHL draft lottery. We'll talk about some new hockey cards that came out this past week. And then we're going to talk about some old junior hockey cards from the 89-90 season, kind of just keeping in spirit with our 30-year retrospective. So, uh, Tim, how are you doing this fine, fine evening that we uh, record this? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. This is feeling a little under the weather, sort of. It's not Uh-oh. COVID, I swear. Yeah. I just think I got water up my nose in the, in the pool yesterday, so it's been making my nose run all day. Oh, I man, can still I... taste and smell, though, so it's not COVID. It's got that chlorine smell. Yeah, yeah. I hate that. So. I hate that. You know, I'm just not a good swimmer. I've never been a good swimmer. And whenever I smell like a, a swimming pool, like the chlorine, I just it like it's the one smell that makes me feel fear. You know what I mean? Like I I smell that and I think back to like taking swim lessons as a kid and just being miserable. <laughs> so that's what that's what that chlorine smell reminds me of. It makes me afraid. Like I, I smell that and I just I, I get a feeling of dread. Yeah, well, the house we bought had a pool, and as much as I was against it, my uh, my wife has taken a taken a liking to it and done a pretty good job with fixing it up and upkeep. So, swimming is great exercise. We're all enjoying it. Swimming is great exercise, but I gotta ask: is it a uh, is it in the ground pool and out of the ground pool, or half in, half out? It's a it's above ground. Above ground, yeah. Because yeah, I know in, five, in Chicago here, five foot pool. Yeah, because in Chicago they can't be level with the ground. They could be kind of halfway into the ground, but they can't be all the way into the ground in Chicago. Oh, yeah, it's not like that here. Plenty of people have in ground pools. Yeah. In fact, in fact, the house my kids live in, they have an in ground pool, salt water oh. too. What? But, yeah. Ours isn't salt water. We're not fancy. Why would it be salt water? Because lots of people have saltwater in ground pools, so to simulate swimming in the ocean. I uh, no, because there's no waves or anything like that. But it's uh, oh, it's just different. Huh. Know, filter filters are different. Water's different. Treatment's different. So some people well, like know, that. Other people don't. Ours is just regular. Well, salt water cannot be frozen into ice to play hockey. So. We're going to change the subject to frozen water. There you go. So, uh, that's why we're here. Yeah. So, the draft lottery. The draft lottery. So, the draft lottery just happened, uh, based off of our recording two hours ago. Well, about an hour and 45. Yeah. Because they talk about all the pomp and circumstance beforehand. But Gary Bettman was the, the host and he actually pulled, well, it was rumored that he was going to pull the ball live and everybody thought it was going to be him himself, but he had two hired minions um, that were off to the side, which I found interesting because he's standing there 
But the two guys, the one that unlocked the box and the one that opened up the box that had the balls in it, mm-hmm. both are wearing masks, but he wasn't. So he was on the other side of the stage, but still, they were within camera shot. He had no mask. They both had masks. So I thought it was interesting. But then it went down the way it was. So now I know why the guys were wearing masks. Because they were trying to conceal their identities. Because many, many fan bases are going to be looking for the guy that dropped the ball, literally. So did you watch it? I I did watch it. Um I don't know what people are talking about when you say drop the ball. I did see him drop well, each ping pong ball one by uh, one into the chamber. Uh-huh. Well, you, you forget the part that happened prior to him dropping it in the chamber. The idea was that Gary Bettman, as commissioner of the NHL, had to confirm that each logo on the ping pong ball was, in fact, the logo of the team that it should belong to. Yes, I recall that part. And as he held each one up, he said, okay, who is this? Okay, it's, you know, this team. Can you confirm this this is the New York Rangers? Can you confirm this is the Minnesota Wild, right? Well, well, as he, and then he would drop it in the thing. And then he'd hold the next one up and drop it in the thing. Well, as he brought the New York Rangers ball out, he dropped it. Like it fell out of his hand into the hopper before anybody actually verified that it was in fact the new york rangers which as gary batman's talking or as the i think was it um it wasn't Catherine tappan that was hosting uh, uh, jamie hirsch jamie hirsch yeah so jamie hirsch is talking about the team as the other guy is using his fingers to pull it back up the pipe to pull it out so that gary batman could say what it was now obviously no i shouldn't say obviously so there's a lot of conspiracy as this that this thing whole thing was rigged because the thought process is well they're trying to give one of these teams uh, that have a large fan base or a large market this number one draft pick Alexis Lafreniere which whoever gets number one doesn't necessarily have to pick him but he's the number one you know number one right. ranked player in all of North America. And anybody that doesn't pick him with an opportunity to do so is is an idiot. So, um, yeah, so the ball gets dropped literally before it's supposed to be dropped. He pulls it back out. It gets verified. He puts it back in. Then when they get through all of that, they drop the balls in. He picks up his little control box, presses the button, and they all start bouncing around. Mm-hmm. Well, they're bouncing around. And he's sitting there staring at them, bouncing around. And I'm watching this, not watching closely, but I'm watching. And I say to my wife, you know, every time a ball goes up there and like looks like it's going to go up the tube, I didn't see the penguins ball go in there once. Mm-hmm. Just an observation. But he's watching it and watching it. And they're like, okay, three, two, one, hit the button. And he's watching it. And then he hits the button. Almost like he was watching to see when a ball like went in there to hit the button to suck it up the tube. So already the conspiracy is the Rangers ball was heavier because he, it fell out of his hands and dropped into the thing. And, oh, well, team logos all have different amounts of ink and different color inks and the pigments weigh all different amounts. So the ball 
the differential in the ball weight is going to be different. It, I mean, all of this stuff is going down. But regardless, the Rangers got the pick. And, you know, it is what it is. So, so if the ball was heavier, then wouldn't it be less likely to get thrown up into that funnel? You know, because... you, you sure would think so, right? But that's that's one of the theories that's out there. So, well, I mean, understanding a little bit about aerodynamics, right? So I think think of like ping pong balls and think of golf balls, right? So a golf ball is going to drop heavier than a ping pong ball, right? Because a golf ball is heavier. Ping pong ball is full of air. It's not going to it's not going to fall as quickly. But when it's also hollow. So, right. But when pushing uh from underneath now think of like a, a sidewalk grate with like air blowing upwards right you know like the famous picture of marilyn monroe like with their dress billowing up right because she's standing over there the grate like so you think now of like wind being thrust upward right or air being thrust upward to make those ping pong balls i'm just going to call them um fly up into the air right and they bounce around and so if it's a heavier ball it's going to need more air to force it up. You would so, so I don't I don't know what people are talking about when they say the ball is too heavy. Now I think if it had to drop down, yeah, then heavy is is better. Like if we were doing a um if we were gonna roll them downhill and the ball that got to the bottom of the hill first got the first round pick, then yeah, you'd want to have a heavier ball. It's all conspiracy. And, you know, fans just, God, when they run out of things to complain about, they just find more things to complain about. It's all all part of the fandom. I know, but come on. Well, first of all, I'll say this. I would have probably thrown something at my TV if Edmonton had gotten the first overall pick. Because I am done with the Edmonton Oilers getting the first overall pick. I'm just done with it. It's like they get all the help. They, They get to draft, what, four first overall picks and... Okay, McDavid was obviously a clear-cut winner. Uh, you know, the the best player, a generational talent. I mean, they've already traded Taylor Hall. It's like you've gotten enough help. You've gotten enough help. You know, it's like Well, Yakupov's like, gone, Taylor Hall's gone. They have right. they have Forgot McDavid, they have Nuge. Right. Um, but it's just like you've gotten you got four first rounders. You're done. You know what I mean? You're done. That's it. You got to cut them off at some point, right? It's like when you loan that family member money and you loan them money and you loan them money and then they say, oh, you know, just loan me another 500 bucks and I could finish, you know, junior college and then I could get a job. And then they don't. And then it's just like, all right, well, here's another five. You know, I'm just, I'm tired of the Oilers. I'm still annoyed that the Maple Leafs got Austin Matthews. I mean, I get it. You know what? The Maple Leafs, even if they're a bad team, and we'll talk about them being a bad team, they're still a, a they are an NHL. They are one of the original six teams. They're an important club. You know, win or lose, they're an important club. They should be a good team. They should have good players. I'm not saying that only the good teams should have good players or only the notable teams should have good players. But, like, I, I'm glad the first pick went to... Um, to the Rangers, because I was looking, I mean, I remember them saying, well, you know, really, Minnesota, they could really use a first overall pick. They've never had a first overall pick, and they're in a rebuild mode, and somebody like Alexi Lafreniere 
would would help their team. And I'm just thinking, man, he just seemed like he'd be so wasted. Like, could you imagine the difference between Patrick Kane going to Chicago and Patrick Kane going to Tampa Bay, Carolina, Nashville, right? Like back in 2007 when but the you're talking about a You're talking about a potential generational player that can actually turn around a franchise. I mean, the Hawks were lucky enough to bring in Taze and Kane right about the same time and have that duo of a one-two punch, just like the Penguins had with with uh, Crosby and Malkin. Um, just like, you know, you know, Tampa had Stamkos, but had to had to work for a few years to to build, you know, a supporting cast around him. Mm-hmm. You know, you have teams like that that have these generational guys that just come in and are amazing players. But if you don't have the supporting cast, you can't really build around them. A team like Minnesota, who's in that building mode, is in need of that kind of player because their leadership players like a Parise or Koivu or Stahl, these guys are they're they're in the twilight of their careers. Right. They may have a few years left in them, but I can't see these guys playing for five more years. And who's going to pick up the torch afterward? You know, they draft some pretty decent players and they work through their system and bring them in. But if there's no one to lead and there's that there's no example there of the high caliber type play that's capable in some of these, you know, superstar type guys, it, it's hard to get around that team. And, you know, Minnesota has a long tradition of of being a hotbed for hockey. And, you know, the fact that they had the North Stars at one point, then they got the wild back, but you know, you talk about collegiate hockey and high school and, hockey, uh, high school hockey, and, huge in Minnesota, and minors and everything else. I mean, that's you know, that's that that's one of the biggest hotbeds of hockey in the United States as far as popularity and and everything else. So, I, I'm not saying that that they deserve necessarily the pick. I think all of the teams, well, technically all the teams equally deserved them at twelve and a half percent chance of of actually getting them, but. You know, to me personally, I mean, and that's obviously a personal thing. I, that was be that was my second pick. I was hoping Minnesota got it. If if the Penguins didn't, I was hoping Minnesota be just because Billy Guerin's there, and you know he's a GM and he's my favorite. So, how many Parkhurst XRC rookies of uh, Billy Guerin do you own now? Um, it, if you count the graded ones, uh. Like 15 or 16, I think. Wow. So, yeah. That's crazy. Because I have like three or four that are great that are graded. Um, but the rest of them I, I put in binder pages. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. fill up. I'm just going to fill up binder pages with the hopes of someday having a full binder full of them. So. Two inch there, binder or three inch binder? Uh, well, I don't know. It's a it's a two inch run right now because it's just a player. Player binder. I have two two Bill Guerin player binders. They're both two inches, so I have four inches of of paged Bill Guerin cards. So right, because I have so many Chelios cards, I had to put that in a, a three inch binder. But my Ronick and Belfour collections are smaller, so those are only in the two inch binders. Usually, I don't put dupes in the pages, but these ones look so cool. So that's why yeah, when you get like nine of them on a page, it looks pretty cool, actually. Yeah, and that's why I waited until I had nine, then I made a page, and then I started another page. And so, 
I'm actually I'm doing something like that with the 9899 Star Quest. Remember the collector's choice Star Quest? There were the yeah, the blue, the blue green, red, and gold. Green. Yeah. Yeah. So the gold are like impossible to find. I've found uh, quite a few green ones in the wild, and I've found yeah. a handful of red ones in the wild. So what I'm doing is in the first pocket, I'm putting card number one blue. The second pocket, I'm putting card number one green. The third pocket, I'm putting card number one red. And then on the next row, uh, in the fourth pocket, I'm putting, you know, uh, card two, two, and two in blue, green, and red. And eventually, so like each row of three going across will have the three cards, variations of the three cards. Well, that is a stolen idea of mine because my top's gold label from 98.99, that's how I have the book set up. So I have class one, class two, class three of card number one, and then class one, class two, class three of card number two. And I have all the pages like that. Now, of course, I don't have the black ones in there or the red ones in there. In fact, I think I only have one red parallel. Um, but the, um, yeah, so that's how I have them set up because you remember the gold labels had different pictures. Yes. So the, the cutout, the cutout of the player was the same, but the background was different. So I have those the book like that too but that's a good idea and i was almost going to do that with my my 0910 champ set too and put like the blue the green the red oh nice but i also have the yellow in there too so i'm like oh, that doesn't really work so no so no, i did cause... all the blue all the green all the red all the yellow i don't have the animal print ones in there though those are all in top loaders yeah, that's, that's and I don't have that many of them, only about ten maybe. Yeah, then it becomes a waste of pages. Like it was like when I started building my seventy, well, whatever set, any set where I'd only have like a like. Uh, well, I'll give you for instance like seventy one, seventy two tops. I probably had about thirty cards, so I just put them in pages. And then when I got like maybe fifty or sixty cards. Then I kind of started dividing them up like, well, this is the page of cards one through 30 and this is the page of cards, you know, 31 through 60. But once I got like a, a, a decent number of cards and that's when I actually put enough pages to like, you know, uh, for the whole set. And then I just go in and fill in a um, <clears throat> fill in a pocket here and there because it's kind of a waste like to like dedicate a bunch of pages to say like a 200 card set if you only have like 50 of the cards. Yeah, and at least with the animal print parallel, those are, like you said, with the gold, the gold star quest, those are almost impossible to find. You can find them, but the, even the, even the quote unquote garbage player cards are mm -hmm. expensive because yeah. of the. So um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dedicate any space to those. In, in I pages. kept them all, in, kept them all in top loaders, just because so, they're. Uh, they, they even they also look cool in top loaders too so so the okay so the draft lottery so there's some controversy whatever or not controversy i didn't think there was any controversy i it looked it looked fine to me it looked legit it was a little silly i love the way they're like can you confirm that this is the pittsburgh penguins logo and then batman be like that is the penguins logo and then somebody on twitter joked like this was trump's uh, um cognitive test that he took you know which one is the elephant you know man woman person chair camera or whatever whatever he kept repeating so it was just kind of funny like yes that is indeed the minnesota wild logo 
So, so you don't put any weight, so to speak, in the fact that the guy dropped the Rangers ball and then had to pick it back up and got all his greasy fingers all over it. Maybe it just slipped. Maybe it was just a coincidence. Yeah. Well, it's going to come out that that guy lives in New York and has season tickets to the Rangers and um, helped helped uh, Henrik Lundqvist originally defect here from Sweden. And, yeah, we're going to find out. So another <laughs> another big thing going on uh, going down on Monday was uh, Dale Talon and the Florida Panthers parting ways. Yeah, his contract's not getting renewed when it's done. But they're yeah. saying it's a mutual agreement. Of course, it's always mutual. Do you agree to be fired? No. Well, guess what? That's what we're telling people. That's pretty much how that works. Well, I, so at first I was thinking. Is it a coaching problem or is it a GM problem? But then I thought, wait a minute, Quenville's it, their coach. It's neither. It, it's neither. Honestly, he's getting, in my opinion, he's not getting a, necessarily a fair shake. However, you can't fire the players, right? I mean, it's like that in any sport. You can't really fire the players. Right. So you got to go with something. Something does have to change in Florida because they can't live in futility forever. And Talon did a great job of bringing in guys and setting that team up for success going forward. I mean, he got he brought in Huberdo, he brought in Barkov, he brought in um, uh, who's the defenseman Ek, Ekblad. Um, you know, he's the reason why the team got structured the way it did. And then eventually he brings in Quenville to coach these guys. Look, Bobrovsky had an off year. Everybody thought he, they're going to bring him in and he's going to be the superstar that he was in Columbus and be able to do all of these things. Well, guess what? He had different guys playing in front of him. Big shock. So, you know, a lot of those shots that get through, you know, Seth Jones d- does a pretty pretty darn good job of playing defense. And nothing against Aaron Ekblad, rookie of the year, but, you know, he's not. Seth Jones. So being able to build a team around something like that, and we see it in Toronto. I know I make fun of Toronto all the time. And you said earlier, you know, you don't want to see teams, certain teams get stuff. Toronto's a good team. They are a good team. They're a good offensive team. When Frederick Anderson is playing well, he's really good. But the problem is they don't have defense to play in front of them. And that's been Toronto's issue that will be Toronto's issue until they change it. Florida kind of has the same thing, but it trickles back to the goalie because Bobrovsky had an off year and only had certain moments of greatness. You know, a lot falls on his plate to be, look, dude, why aren't you playing like you did? You know, you got to be better. And that was part of the issue. So they spent a lot of money to bring him in, didn't pan out, and here they are. So you can't fire the players. So what do you do? You're going to fire your brand new coach that you brought in that's going to be in the Hall of Fame? Probably not the best idea. So it's going to trickle down from the top. So the GM, you know, player operations people, you know, president, whatever whatever name or, or nomenclature you want to use to, to tag to somebody's title, those are the people that, that tend to get canned. So, you know... I don't know if this is a case of, you know, he was ready to move on and the team's ready to move on, but I think something had to change and that was pretty much their only reaction. That's all they could do, really. 
Yeah, they have to do something, especially after getting swept in in the um, qualifying round. Well, you know the. I don't know. For Ford is always that team where you forget about them sometimes. I mean, obviously, unless you're a fan. But you know, when I think of the Florida Panthers, I think back to the Rats. You know that that's what comes to mind when I think of the Florida Panthers. That was a those, fun. That was fun though. That was yeah. a, well, that was the year they went to the Cup Finals and. But but you're also talking eons ago, basically. Yeah, ninety six. I mean, I yeah. Half half the players that that or half the players. Probably half the people that even listen to our podcast weren't alive at that time. So, you know, it's that's one of those things. You know, you got this team that I still, in my mind, see Florida as an expansion team, you know, because they've never bolstered themselves up to that level of, you know, look, here's an elite team that can compete all the time and they're in it every year and, mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Because, what, only twice since Dale Talon's been there have they even been in the playoffs i think so i mean if if you're going by success record and success is wins and losses well there's your you know there's your proof well they never make it out of the first round of the playoffs not since the they made it to the cup finals in 96 yeah so that was just such a weird going back to 96 for a minute that was just such a weird series because i remember like in 1991, if you had told me, oh, yeah, the Stanley Cup Finals is going to be between Florida and Colorado, I'd be like, dude, what drugs are you on, right? Like, Florida and Colorado having hockey teams, and then, like, five years later, it's the 96 Finals, and sure enough, it's Florida and Colorado. It just seems so weird. It was, like, two teams of two relatively new teams. I mean, I know, obviously, the Avalanche were the Nordiques rebranded and relocated, but... Still, it's just it's just kind of uh, just kind of odd to think of that uh, to think back to that series. Yeah, to see two relatively new teams, especially new market teams, um, you know, compete at that at the you know in front of the grand stage, if you right, will. right. Um, that was that was actually, but I mean, you got it. That Avalanche team was stacked. I mean, they were stacked. So. You know, it's no wonder they swept them in four games. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sackick, Forsberg, Wah, and those are just the names that come to the top of my mind when I think of that team. And then if you dig a little deeper, you had a hell of a lot more great players on that team. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of who was on Florida at the time. Rob Niedermeyer and Beasley. John Van Beesbrook, yeah. Scott Mellonby. Um, yeah, Mellonby was on that team. Yeah, um, and give me a minute. I'll probably think of some people, but we're not here to talk about the 96 Panthers, so that's okay. Um, but yeah, so it'd be interesting to see what the what if Dale Talon goes anywhere from here or if he just retires. You know, old hockey guys just they don't they don't go away. They just they either they get hired or they don't. Maybe yeah. you know what? Maybe he'd actually end back up in uh, radio or something or on TV. Maybe like one of those like hockey central guys, right? But, like, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up on a broadcast somewhere. Well, I mean, remember he was the Blackhawks uh, uh, color commentator for such a long time, like right. pretty much all of the '80s, almost all of the '90s. 
I mean, I think for a little while he took a different job and then he went back to the broadcast booth and then he was, he was out again. So, or out, he was out of the broadcast booth and then back into management. So, I mean, someone like Dale Talon going back into the broadcast booth, that I think would be a very easy move for him. And I think a lot of people would enjoy what he had to say because not only does he have the perspective of a player, but he has a perspective of a of a general manager. So, and, and then he has the experience of being a broadcaster for like two decades. You know what I mean? So he does. He he wouldn't be like amateurish at it. He would be very good at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And who's the guy? That a guy gives another perspective. You who's know, the but... guy on Hockey Central? The former uh, Panthers GM, Doug um, McLean. Oh, okay. All right. Well, he was a former GM for the um, Florida Panthers and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah. So he always has an interesting perspective. And then, um, so I just think I could just see Talon kind of being that guy if he if he doesn't have any uh, offers in management. Um, I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. But I guess I'm not surprised because, like you said, you can't fire the players. And on paper, they should be better than a qualifying round exit yeah i think i think they landed a bad matchup too for them at least for that first but what are you gonna do so let's talk about let's talk about those matchups well what did you think of the round robin and the qualifying round um the round robin games that i saw uh other than watching the flyers like i i don't even know what team that was to be honest with you but the Flyers actually were kind of exciting. I hate to admit that. Um, but they were kind of exciting to watch. And the fact that all of their goal scoring and everything was coming from players that weren't named Giroux, I, I, that, or Couturier, um, that was kind of crazy. But uh, other than that, like Boston played – like they looked like they didn't even want to be there, to be honest. Hmm. So – I know Tuka Rass said in interviews afterward, he's like, these were playing ga- or these were round robin games. They really don't mean anything. And you can guarantee we're going to up our game when it actually counts. Yeah, well, that doesn't give anybody a lot of confidence when you go out there and, you know, lay an egg. But uh, so uh, whatever. I mean, it is what it is. Flyers take over first, pl- first place and the Bruins get knocked down the fourth. So. Uh, but the round robin games, I don't know. They were a little lackluster to me. The playing games, on on the other hand, that was some pretty decent hockey. I will I will say this. I enjoyed most of the games that I watched. Um, I didn't enjoy any of the Penguin games, but you know, I at least enjoyed watching other teams win. So. It's surprising that the Penguins did not win. Yeah, well. I mean, you could say what you want on it. They were not the better team. They didn't play well. And everybody said from the start that Montreal doesn't have the talent to match up to the Penguins. But if Carey Price plays like Carey Price, the Penguins are in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. He played lights out Carey Price hockey. He played like he's the best goaltender in the NHL. And when he does that, I don't think anybody can beat them. You know, most teams need goals in front of them in order to win. 
price plays that good that you can win two to one games, one nothing games, and things like that. And you know that's that's what he did, and he he outplayed the Penguins goalies, and we had no answer for him, and the frustration set in, and that was it. And you know, it was an early exit. Nobody predicted that, but well, I mean, some people predicted it, but I certainly didn't. And so, nor did I pick, nor did I predict that the Hawks were going to be Edmonton either. I thought it would go five games. I thought it would go five games, and the reason why I thought it would go five games, and you know, I'm happy for the Blackhawks. Uh, I think that everybody is kind of just kind of getting back into playing hockey. I, I know they've been practicing for months or a month, and then they had their little mini camp, and they had their tune-up games and stuff like that. But when you are playing hockey at the end of the regular season and into the playoffs, you've been playing for like nine months, and you are just – you are in like the best game shape these guys are all coming off of a layoff. I, I don't care who you are. Even Sidney Crosby, after a two-month layoff and then playing, you know, a couple of tune-up games and then getting out there, it's not the same. So this is kind of like, um, it's, it, it's kind of like who, not who the better team is, but who the better team is at the moment. You know, in 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 these in the bubble. After two week or two, excuse me two two three month layoff etc. Yeah, and I mean just watching those games, I mean Chicago outplayed them. I mean they really did, and I mean there were moments like Edmonton looked that that first game, uh-huh. like when Chicago just went out there and just pounded on them, and it was like you know. What, what is happening here? Like, this is going to be over even before it started. And then Edmonton turns around and, you know, Connor McDavid gets like a hat trick in the first period. Of the and, second game. Yeah. And it's like, okay, here's the Edmonton that we were we thought we were going to see. Chicago did everything to make all the adjustments that they needed to make. And that, that made all of the difference in that. And, again, here's another team that is very weak on the back end when it comes to defense. So, you know, you can have as much offensive power as you can, but if you can't stop the pucks from getting behind and getting at your goalie, you're going to have a problem. So, and that, that that's it. I mean, good for them. It's good for them. Um, when Chicago's in the playoffs, I think it, it, it excites a whole another fan base, which is good for the game. Um, you know, you can make the argument that Chicago should have never been there in the first place. Neither should have the Canadians, but you know, this is a different year. And if it goes down in history books with an asterisk, well, you know what, if you win the Stanley cup, it's still the Stanley cup. And I don't think players are going to care if there's an asterisk. So I don't think 94, 95 or 2012, 13 have asterisks. Do they? I don't think so. No, I'm just saying if somebody decides, Oh, that's, we're going to put an asterisk on here. Well, you know what? Players aren't going to care. Like, uh, what, what did uh, David Ross say from the Cubs? Um, he's like, if they're giving out a trophy, I want that trophy. Yeah, so, I agree. That's plain and simple. Well, let me ask you a question, just going back to the round-robin games. 
what value is there in killing yourself in a round robin series uh, to be seated first if the team that is seated eighth might actually be better than the team that gets seated fifth or whatever. In other words, what I, what I'm saying is like, I could understand it during the regular season, but this is kind of like, just like, I don't know, like its own little special thing. So, I mean, if the Bruins finish first overall or second overall or third overall, I, I guess it's just like, who cares? Like, I, I, I guess you well, remember want... they're receding after each round too. Like, Beg pardon? They're going to recede after each round. Yes. This year, which yes. they don't normally do. So, right. um, so that's different. You know, normally you have the home ice advantage when you have the higher seating, which you can argue one way or another because nobody has home ice advantage because there's no home ice. Last change. So you do get last change, which can be important um, depending on what matchups you're going up against. But really, those playing games were to keep those top four teams from, like you said, sitting around for even more amounts of time. You know, they've already been sitting forever. Well, okay, so we have a bye. Okay, well, then what does that no. mean? We, yeah, we have to sit bad. here until the best of five series is over? Heck no. You know, we're all, we'll all be dead by the time it's ready to play. And, yeah, we're rested, but... Hockey's not a sport that necessarily needs the rest. No. I think teams play better when they're playing, you know, groupings of games. Right. You need that you need the recovery, but you can't I mean a, a week off is a bad thing. Right. A day off and in a game is probably really ideal for the playoffs and I mean look, and, we see it all the time. We see it all the time in the playoffs where teams go in the first round and they sweep. Mm-hmm. And then they have to sit for six, seven, eight days until the other series are done. And then the next round comes around and they come out and it looks it looks like they've been sitting for a while. And you can see it and you're like, oh, well, they needed the rest. Well, did they? I mean, it, it, it squashes your momentum. Yeah, it helps guys recover and everything else. But, you know, these other teams are, they're juiced. They're ready to go. And you're, you're like, oh, I'm nice and well rested. Uh, this is good. And you go out there and these guys are already playing it 100%. So it's kind of funny that the two home teams that were actually home teams, the Maple Leafs and the Oilers, got eliminated. Yeah. Another conspiracy. Right. Uh, you know, it's going to be funny. So here we have, like, looking at the, the, the upcoming matchups. Uh, so Montreal is a Canadian is a Canadian team that's well Montreal's the Canadians but they're a team from Canada that are still in the playoffs and then you have the Vancouver Canucks and the Calgary Flames so Canada now has three teams what's going to be funny is when those three teams eventually get eliminated and then you have a Stanley Cup final being played in Toronto between two American teams oh man that is some that is some delicious irony right there. Oh, the Toronto media is already having a field day with the Maple Leafs being knocked out of the playoffs. And, you know, John Tortorella said in an interview after the game, you know, he gives all the credit in the world to to Toronto. And he he's more than happy that Columbus came out on top. But at the same time, he, bit, he flat out said, 
the Toronto media are a bunch of idiots. You know, there's he's convinced, he's flat out convinced that the vast majority of the people involved in Toronto media and are reporting on the game of hockey know zero about the game of hockey because of how much criticism they're putting on Sheldon Keefe right now. Mm. And saying that he should have done this and he should have done that and should have done that. And all these aren't quote unquote armchair quarterbacks, I guess they'd be armchair armchair goalies in this case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, they've, they have like zero clue. And he flat out said in his press conference, he's like, you guys are dumb. You're just dumb. And I don't understand. And I'll never understand how to, while Toronto media is like this. I, I just don't get it. And that that's the thing. There aren't, for as many hockey people as there are reporting in Toronto f- about hockey, there's just as many that have no business doing so. And they're just writing pieces just to get hits and clicks and links and everything else through social media. And it's a shame because I don't think the coaching staff is necessarily to blame. You know, you coach with what you're given, right? Right. Uh, Players play, coaches coach, you know? So, but, you know, whatever. I think, uh, I think Nashville was disappointing, although I expected that to happen. Um, the, uh, the surprising one was, was Carolina, man, Mm. Carolina just was a buzzsaw. They really were. And the way they played, it was actually, they were fun to watch. So, you know, going back to the, you know, I was, I was hoping they would do some of the storm surge stuff, but I didn't see any of it. So. I think they do that for the fans, and I think that yeah. when you're doing it, when when you have like pretty much everybody watching all your game now, uh, now now that like all of these are pretty much national broadcasts. I mean, I know there's still local broadcasts, like the Blackhawks are still being broadcast locally in Chicago, outside of Chicago. It's a national broadcast, but I think that's something that the the Hurricanes do for the fans in attendance at the game. So it almost seemed kind of silly for them to do a storm surge in Toronto for their fans watching it at home. You know what I mean? Like, I, th- I think it's different if you do it at the stadium. You kind of get caught up in the emotion. I wanted them to do it. They were, they were, they were dignified in their win. So uh, just looking ahead at the matchups that are coming up. So in the Eastern Conference, we got the Columbus Blue Jackets versus the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Carolina Hurricanes versus the Boston Bruins, the New York Islanders versus versus the Washington Capitals, and the Montreal Canadiens versus the Philadelphia Flyers. And in the Western Conference, we have the Arizona Coyotes versus the Colorado Avalanche, the Vancouver Canucks versus the St. Louis Blues, the Calgary Flames versus the Dallas Stars, and the Chicago Blackhawks versus the Vegas Golden Knights. And I'm actually really excited about that series because I like Vegas. Obviously, I like Chicago. I think it would be an interesting series. I think it's going to be an interesting series. I mean, uh, Robin Leonard's been getting the starts, and the Blackhawks played, or he played with the Blackhawks. So... I think it's funny that one of the commentators was like, and I forgot who said this, but they're like, oh, well, you know, Robin Leonard played for the Blackhawks, so he totally knows how to shut down Kane and Taves. And I'm like, or maybe Kane and Taves know how to totally beat Robin Leonard. I mean, it cuts both ways, right? I think Chicago's going to be outmatched against Vegas, to be honest with you. Yeah, which then brings my argument. They're going to be too much. It's going to be too much. 
No, I, I think the Blackhawks are in over their heads in this playoffs to begin with. Yeah, they're playing with house money right now. Yeah, so, so they they won. They go to the next round of the playoffs. I guess that's exciting. Maybe they can pull off another upset. Maybe they can't. I don't know. I mean, we've heard about eighth seeds going to the cup finals, but a 12th seed? Really, I mean, that's what they are. Right. They so, were I not going to make the playoffs. I mean, we, we feasibly could see a Montreal-Chicago final. We're in not Toronto. going to, but we could see one. Montreal versus Chicago in Toronto. Just, just as I think uh, Chicago's outmatched against Vegas, I think everything I said earlier about the Canadians and how they played against the Penguins, yeah. you know, the Penguins played flat. And as much talent as they had, usually talent eventually works its way through and overpowers, you know, fly-by-nights and, and all of that kind of thing. But because Carey Price was so good he could shut that down. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'll be able to do that against the Flyers because the Flyers have outstanding goaltending with Carter Hart and the firepower in front of them. And like I said earlier, the fact that they're big guns haven't been the ones scoring. Imagine if those guys start scoring and you have essentially four lines of players that can put points on the board. And that's what you need. You need to have those, those, Second, third, fourth. You need to get, you need to get scoring from all your lines. You need to get contributions from everybody. If it's just the same two players carrying the team, it's it's not going to happen. You need to get you need to get goals from the people that you need to get goals from. But then you need to get them from unexpected players. Yeah, and that's exactly what the Flyers have been living on: is all these unexpected players getting goals, and the, the stars can just sit back and they're like. Pfft. Oh, they don't need us yet, you know. And I don't so think I, that's I, really how it works. But well, yeah. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna show up in this Montreal series. They're gonna have to, and I think Montreal is gonna be in trouble. Um, but you know, we'll see. That's why they play the games, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, speaking of round one of the NHL playoffs, I just want to make a quick announcement. I'm actually having a sale at the Puck Junk online shop. I'm putting all t-shirts at 25% off, so no coupon needed. Just head on over to shop.puckjunk.com to grab a t-shirt at 25% off. Nice. Yeah, nice. So, anyway, I want to talk some collectible stuff now if if you're done for done um, discussing the playoffs. Yeah, we've said enough. Yeah. So um, I want to talk about Tops Now hockey stickers, which at the beginning of the year, you remember how excited I was about that set, right? Yep. And then as the weeks went on, whoops, I forgot to buy them this week. Whoops, I forgot to buy them this week. Well, I'll tell you what happened, dude. It's like... Life happened. That's what happens. Well, no, I missed... So what happened was I bought like... I bought like... Two, I bought one week twice. Like, I bought it and, like, I think they launched them on, like, God, was it a Thursday? I think I want to say it was every Thursday. So, I want to say that, like, I bought the set on Thursday and then I bought it again on Wednesday. So, I had two of one set and then I totally forgot to buy another set because I lost track of what time because it was some weird time, like 
4 p.m. Chicago time. So it was probably 5 p.m. New York time because that's where Tops is located. So there was one week when I bought two sticker packs and there was another week where I didn't buy any. So what they were doing was they were giving you an incentive to buy all the packs because then you'd get a special all-star bonus pack if you bought like weeks one through 18. Then right. you'd get a three sticker all-star game bonus pack. And then if you bought weeks 18 through 36, then you would get a special three sticker pack of the Stanley Cup finals or something like that. Right. So once I missed out on getting that pack, then I was just like, well, I'll buy them on eBay for cheaper because they're $7.49 a pack. But you have people who are buying 20 at a time and getting them for like 4 or $5 a pack. So then I would just spend like 5 $6 a pack instead of $7.49 plus tax. And, and you know, so I was saving a couple of bucks because it didn't matter, right? Because right. what the people who buy them in high volume do is on the weeks that there's a chase sticker, they hope to get that chase sticker that they could sell for $20. And on the weeks that there aren't chase stickers, there's still a gold parallel sticker. That's about one in every three or one in every five packs. They right. get varying reports. So I was excited to build this set. I was buying the stickers every week and every week I was giving you my recap of how you know how many were sold the week before and who's in that pack and who's in this pack. Right. So what happened now with Tops Now is that they changed the format from once a week to once a day. And it has been overwhelming because I understand that a lot of things are happening every day in hockey because when you have six games a day, guess what? There's a lot of stuff that happens in a day. The problem right. is, is that it went from an, I uh, will just say a $9 a week habit, because it was just under $9 for nine stickers, $7.49 plus tax. It was about eight something. We'll just say nine. So it's about a buck a sticker. So about $9 a week. In the past week, I spent $35 on 25 stickers total. Now, it's here's what's happening. It's a lot for stickers. It's a lot for stickers, right? It's over a dollar a sticker. So yeah. here's. Week 23, right before the NHL went on pause, um, they sold 609 packs. So already they were dwindling. Because I think that first week, when which came with the album, they were sell they think they sold about 1,400 packs. It was like under 1,500 packs. By week 23, that dwindled to 609 packs. Now here's what happened over the past five playoff packs. Playoff pack number one, 472 packs were sold. Pack number two, 480 packs. Now, that one only had three stickers, but Sidney Crosby was one of the stickers. So it was a more desirable pack for, you know, maybe dabblers to buy that. It had Crosby. It had McDavid. I forget who the third one, but right there, Crosby and McDavid. That's a worthwhile pack of stickers. I say, there's your money right there. Pack three, 255 packs. See what's going on? We went from 472 to 480, to 255, to 218, to 206. Wow. So that's packs, not stickers, right? That's 206. 206 packs. 206 packs. That particular pack had six stickers. 
But all of them had five, except for uh, the second one had three. So five stickers, three stickers, five stickers, five stickers, six stickers. That was the one that was released on Friday. The one that they released on Monday, which is available from mid-Monday to mid-Tuesday, is 11 stickers, and it's $16.49 a pack. So factor in sales tax there, you're looking at over $1.50 per sticker. And so I keep I keep hearing your voice in my head going, I'm out. I'm out. Yep. I tried, but I'm out. Pretty much. I don't know if I want to stay in this much longer because $35 for 25 stickers. I mean, if I want to waste my money, I'll just I'll just go buy a couple of blasters at Target, right? I mean, or whatever, you know what I mean? And, and maybe get one Young Gut or something or, or one whatever. I mean, that's not wasting your money if you like it. You know, if, if you like it, then, you know, I mean, no, I've paid... Especially if your Target has, like, current basketball or Topps Chrome baseball or something. You can buy those and flip them. Right. Not that, I, not that I'm advocating that, but I'm just saying you could. You could. Yeah, and then you make a lot more money, and then you could afford your stickers. See that? We just solved your problem. All right, oh. let's end the show, and you can go to Target right now. All right, I'm gonna make. <laughs> I'm gonna run to Target. So, but still, it seems kind of off to be spending that much money on stickers. I mean, if you by comparison, if you look at the Top Series One stickers, even on their website, uh, or not Series One, Tops 2019 2020 album stickers the 630 sticker set, those are a buck a pack. And if you buy a box of them from a seller besides Tops, then they're a lot cheaper. I bought three boxes of those for about $105. I think I got them from Steel City. I want to say it was Steel City for 35 a box. And that came with albums. So I got three albums, even though I only needed one, right? Yeah. For this, though, it just it seems like the people who are hanging in it are really getting pounded because not only are the prices more per sticker, but there's no volume discount. I was talking to one guy who actually was very nice to trade me a set, the um, all-star stickers that I missed out on. And he said he was buying 20 a week because he'd get them much cheaper because he's buying 20 at a time and right. keep the ones that he want. He'd have a set for himself. He'd have a set for a friend he would sell off the gold sticker parallels and he'd make his money back. And it was fun and it was, it was worth his while. And that's cool. But he said now that if he buys 20 packs, they're going to cost him, you know, $4.99 or $6.99 or $7.49 or $16.49 with no discount. Yeah. So when you don't give that volume discount, you don't get the bulk sellers. So then it seems like Tops is printing less and less, and they're making their prices more and more, maybe because they have to justify it and saying, well, we're only going to print 200 of these, so we need to we need to up our price. It sounds to me like that's exactly what's going on. So it sucks, and I wonder how many people are going to finish the sticker set. I wonder if I'm going to finish it. I don't know. Some Someday when they all end up in everybody's COMC accounts, maybe then. Yeah, but see, for that, you'd have to buy the stickers, have them mailed to you, then mail them to COMC. And people do that all the time. Right, but then that means you're going to be spending 3 or $4 a sticker instead of, uh, 
six ninety nine for five stickers. Well, you have to look at it from the. I mean, look at it from the EPAC standpoint. People are spending what are they four ninety nine five ninety nine yeah. for the game dated moments, mm-hmm. and you can find game dated moments on Com C for fifty cents. So, I mean, you you already know what the retail price was. These were five bucks. Now they're being sold at ten percent of what they cost. Well, at least with those, I didn't have to pay to ship them. If I was selling uh, game dated moments or any inserts from uh, upper deck packs. Because they're already at Com C. Right. But the shipping on Com C items that come from EPAC are different than the shipping of stuff that they keep in stock. Really? Yeah. That I did not know. And you'll find more? You'll find that if you. Um, the stuff that comes from other sources, uh, every time I've had anything shipped, it always shows up as um, this isn't if there's any kind of shipping promotions, this isn't eligible for that promotion. Mm. So I don't know if it was just my bad luck or if that's how the thing works, but that reminds me, I still have to get my David Ayers um, game dated moments cards. I yeah. think they're still in my upper deck account. I don't think I ever transferred them to my Com C account. I, I didn't. Mine are still in my upper deck account because I was can hoping that someday. ship them from upper deck? Yeah, you can. It's just going to take you uh, an eon to get them because mm. shipping is slow for all mm. that. But I did see that some people have gotten them. So uh, they're getting better. But, uh, you know, with all this going on and, you know, Post office being slow and Canada Post being slow and you know it is what it is. So, so I'm sorry. You, you were saying you were hoping to what? I was hoping to cash out those, but I'm holding off because I've heard many people say that they've been told that it's going to take until October or November before they actually see their shipment. So I'm like, well. If it takes that long, I might as well just wait. From Upper Deck or from Com C? Both. Yeah. So, I know my Com C account, I've been holding on to it. I've got probably 700 cards in there that I need shipped. Wow. Yeah, so. So, um, speaking of game-dated moments, so the week 44 cards for Upper Deck game-dated moments, card number 96, Blackhawks rookie Dominic Kubalik sets NHL record with a five-point postseason debut and then card number 97 uh nick robertson becomes six player 18 or younger to make nhl debut in postseason so those are available those are 3.99 each but then you have to make a purchase um from upper deck epac in order to be eligible to unlock and purchase these um cards for 3.99 each so you got to make a purchase to make a purchase Brilliant. Yeah, but, but all you got to do is buy one of the fusion packs from fifteen sixteen for like seventy nine cents. You'll be eh, good. You know what? I thought that way too, but then I ended up buying, um, I ended up buying um, Upper Deck Series One, like with the David Ayers cards, because I figured at least that way I'd get like one insert per pack that was like a physical card, and I'd get more enjoyment out of that. So even though I feel like I paid a little much. For those packs, and I don't actually get the base cards. I did get a Patrice Bergeron 
jersey card, which I thought, all right, that's kind of cool. Yeah, there you go. You know, and then a couple other inserts, and I'm like, all right, that's, you know, because I think I spent like 20 bucks on Upper Deck, whatever series it was. And I was just like, you know, because at least I'll, I, I'll get some enjoyment from that. Fusion, I won't do anything with. No, Compendium but I'm saying, might if, at least... if you want to know what the least amount you can get out of it on, that's that's their cheapest pack. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Fusion for 79 cents. So, and if you find it on sale, then you even get a better deal. You can buy like a whole box for 79 cents. Yeah, but they're just JPEGs, man. They're just JPEGs. Unless you can... Unless you can get a hundred thousand of them and upgrade them to the actual black parallel. Oh, that's a thing with fusion. Yeah. But then are those physical cards? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Like, that like a lot. Like... There's a lot of there's a lot of the black. I believe it's the black parallel graded Connor McDavid rookies floating around out there in the world. Wow, that's so. a Sisyphean task. Uh, yes, it is. Because you have to make lots and lots of trades or buy lots and lots of JPEGs. What is it, a thousand, you said? Something like that. It's a lot. You know what I bought the other day for a really good price? I got a gold Carter Hutton from, I want to say it was 1718 Compendium. And it was like you needed to have 10 regular cards to get the blue version of the card. And then you needed to fuse, like, I want to say it was five of the blue ones to make a magenta one. Or, yeah, and then you had to fuse, I don't know how many of those to make a gold one. But it just, it was like just something that seemed impossible to do. But um, the other day, because I don't think I even bought any from that year. But all I know is that I found a gold one for like five bucks. There you go. And it's just like, Wow. How many, you know, is that 100 copies of the same card? It's just 200, 500? I don't know. It's just, I, I know the numbers are, are published. It's not like it's hidden knowledge. I just don't know because either I buy the cards I want or I don't buy the cards that I want, but I don't want to buy packs to fuse together the cards to make the cards I want. Right. Yeah. Just like, just like the top stickers. As the price goes up, you eventually have to bail. Yeah, so, so now I'm wondering how effective. how long are these playoffs, man? Um, we got four rounds now, and they're seven game mm, rounds, so this yeah. is going to be a while. This is, this is the normal. This is we're we're in the normal playoff mode now. So, so um, you want to shift gears to our uh, our our retro set for the for the podcast? Sure. So I was thinking about how earlier in the year we did a podcast about 8990 Tops and Opeachy. And then we that was actually our first podcast back in 2014, but then we revisited that topic um, earlier this year. And then we also did a podcast about 8990 Panini stickers. So then I started thinking, hmm, what other 8990 sets can we talk about? And I'm just like, well... You know, there's like a lot of little like regional sets and team sets and stuff like that. But then I thought about the 8990 OHL hockey card set made oh, by. I thought we were talking about the Foodland set for the Penguins. No, I know we're that'd be about over. Else? Okay, that'd be like a five-minute conversation. Be like Mario and oh, that's it. 
All right, we're done. Five second conversation. Nice. Um, no, we could do we could do team sets one day. That'd be kind of neat. Um, but so the eighty nine ninety OHL Ontario Hockey League uh, card set is made by a company called Seventh Inning Sketch. Not seventh inning stretch, seventh inning sketch, which right away I'm going to say is just a dumb, dumb name for a card company. You I mean, like I, I, I didn't get it. Is, is there something I'm missing here? Yeah, I know because it's all it's all sketch cards, right? No. Oh. If they were sketch baseball cards, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's cool. Oh. Maybe but they it's... were a baseball card company and they shifted to hockey. When all of these minor league teams said, hey, we need somebody to make cards that look horribly awful and put all of our players in dark chasms and take their pictures. Well, that was pretty consistent with minor league cards for the time and even junior league cards. If you look at those police sets from the 80s, it's like they always turn out the lights. So then their dark hair blends in with the black background. It's just a terrible look. Yeah, and this this set is no stranger to that, that's for sure. So, uh, oh, and I will tell you this, as long as we're on the topic, um, you know they actually, they also sold cards under a different name in the early 90s. Do you remember what that name was? Um, was it Pro Cards? No. Pro oh, Cards was a different company. Huh. Shockingly enough, they look almost identical. but They do. Um, were they... Uh, were they Arena? No. Oh, then I give up. Who are they? Future Trends. Oh. Remember the 1972 Canada Cup or the Summit, the 1972 Summit Series Series set? Oh, they made that? They made that under the name Future Trends. And then they made the follow up set about the 76 Canada Cup. Oh. But it was not, but it was not under seventh inning sketch. It was under Future Trends. Please stick with us. Puck Junk, you learn a lot. You learn a lot. We care a lot. That's right. So uh, so these packs of cards, these OHL cards, and on the front of the wrapper, it says, Tomorrow's Stars Today. So what I find fascinating about this set, enough that I want to make a podcast episode about it, is that it was kind of a Junk Wax era set before the junk wax era officially began. Like, who in their right mind would make OHL trading cards? Not a police set that you'd give to kids to teach them the safety of wearing their bicycle helmet, but an actual set based on junior league cards that came in packs that featured different teams. Do you see what I mean? It seems like there wasn't even a minor league equivalent to that because pro cards sold directly to the teams. The teams would sell their set. They'd also sell directly to consumers, but they weren't cards that came in packs where you just got a random assortment of cards in a pack or in a box. So this was a little bit of ahead of its time because this was really before Classic became really big in that whole minor and junior league card. um, card Like, Like with Four Sport and all that? With four sport, but even with like classic, um, I mean, there was draft picks, classic draft picks, classic four sport, classic five sport, classic images, which I think was just another set. And then you had uh, signature rookies. Yeah. And you had like a lot of other, uh, I mean, and you had like, you know, you had more companies making 
cards of minor league and junior league and collegiate players, depending on the sport and, and what they could do and what they couldn't do. So this was a little bit ahead of its time. If it was coming out, because we kind of agreed that 1990, that's kind of like the BC AD of like junk wax era, right? Like everything 1990 and before or before 1990 was like pre junk. Well, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, because if, I mean, if we're talking strictly about hockey cards, I mean, look, yes. Where the dividing line is, other than the Panini sticker set, you had Tops and Opeachy. Right. Was it? There right. wasn't anything else. Upper Deck didn't come out in hockey yet. You know, it was baseball only. There was no score yet. There were no other brands. So the major brands that were out there, it was Tops and Opeachy, and that was it. So this was an interesting set. When it, I remember seeing these at a show. Um, I want to say it was just a show at a hotel. I don't honestly remember where the show was or whatever, but I remember it was like, I want to say it was like a Sunday afternoon show. I was probably with my aunt and I remember that a guy had a stack of these boxes, 8990 OHL hockey cards. And I was just like, whoa, that's different. Like I was used to seeing things sometimes sold as team sets. Like I was familiar with the pro cards team sets because I'd see them from time to time but here this guy had boxes and I remember I said how much are these cards and he said oh they're a dollar a pack or 30 a box and, you know 30 a box was a lot of money at the time because at that time Opeachy and Topps packs were still 50 cents each so these were almost double maybe they were a little cheaper than 30 I want to say I spent about 30 on a box because I had to swallow hard and think about it, it might have been 28 I don't know but it was a lot it was a lot for me because I would have been 15, I would not have had a job. So I bought a box. So the box has uh, 36 packs, 10 cards per pack. So there's 360 cards per box. There are 200 cards in the set. So you can actually put together a set from a box. And that's what I did. And not only did I put together a set, but I actually got duplicates of all the good cards. Um, so just to give you a quick rundown, not all the OHL teams are represented in this set. Oshawa Generals, nine, right? Let's see. Gen Oshawa Generals, London Knights, Ottawa 67s, Belleville Bulls, Peterborough Peets, Niagara Falls Thunder, North Bay Centennials, yeah, seven teams. And then oh, there are seven? seven teams. And then there's all stars and point leaders and playoff performance things and stuff like that like they figured out a way to make some cards of guys that were not on the teams because even though the big selling point of this set was it had eric lindros in it it had four eric lindros cards but the number one overall pick the projected number one overall pick for the um for the 1990 draft was either well it ended up being owen nolan but originally it was projected to be Mike Ricci. So there's a couple of Mike Ricci cards in there. There's a couple of Keith Primo cards in there. There are um, a couple, there's one Owen Nolan card in there. Even though he was with the Cornwall Royals, he won some trophy or something. So they made a card of him. Um, so they, um, they had those, those players featured prominently in this set uh, with at least one card. I think, Ricci has two or three cards, and I want to say Primo has like two cards. So it, it's stacked with the guys that are um, that were going to go high in that 1990 draft. So of course, 
I was intrigued because I knew who these guys were, and it was exciting to get an Owen Nolan card or a Mike Ricci card or a Keith Primo card with their junior team, and it was especially exciting to get the Eric Lindros cards. Yeah, the because there were how many Lindros were there? Three, four. There were four. four. There was yeah. he. He's the first card in the set. Because the first team is the Oshawa Generals. Right. So he's card number one. And then let me just flip back in the book. Because I can pull them out. Then there is a um, there is another card. Memorial Cup All-Star. And then there is another card. Um, OHL, OHL Playoff Leader. And then there is an, uh, another card that says Where in 91. And it just questions where he's going to go end up with in the 1991 um, draft. Right. Actually, what's interesting about this card is on the back it says, only 17 years old, Eric is considered already to be the number one pick in the NHL 1991 draft. Thought uh, uh, thought to be a can't-miss star, his influence has already um, perme- permeated the NHL. Reportedly, the new expansion team did not get the first choice overall for 91, partly due to Eric's availability, so speculation is on. Who will finish last and get the number one pick, or will someone make a blockbuster deal with the last place team and get him? Or will he refuse to play with whatever team drafts him and go somewhere else instead? Well, that's kind of what they, happened. They left that part off, right? Well, somebody that- did, did make a blockbuster de- deal for him. Uh, he kind of forced that, though. <laughs> right. They, they forgot about that part. They forgot the part where it says, oh, he's also a prima donna and he will only go and play for the team that he wants to play for. <laughs> well, this is why the Sharks got the number two pick that year, because traditionally the expansion teams would get the first overall pick. But the Nordiques are like, well, what the hell, man? We've been making a hobby of sucking pretty hard these past couple of years, and you're not going to deny us our first overall pick in 91. So right. they amended that rule. Uh, would have been interesting if he went to the Sharks. Um, yeah, he never, he didn't play for the Sharks. No, that's right. He didn't play for the Sharks. I was, no, for some reason, I was thinking he was on the Sharks for a year or something, but no. You're thinking of the Dallas Stars. Yeah, I think I am. So, uh, anyway, so some of the notable players in this set. So, I've already mentioned uh, Eric Lindros has four cards. Um, Darian Hatcher. Yes. Owen Nolan, Mike Ricci, Keith Primo, Fred Braithwaite, Louis DeBrusque. Louis DeBrusque, sorry. John Tansk. DeBrusque, sorry. Yes. Is it DeBrusque? Yeah, because that's, that's Jake DeBrusque's dad. Yeah. So, this is Louis DeBrusque as a junior player. John Tanner, um, I only recognize that name because he was a goalie with the Nordiques. Darren McCarthy, Brent Gretzky, Scott Thornton, Jason Cullimore, Brad May, Paul Laus. Chris Simon's in there, too. Don't forget him. Is he? Yes. Ah, did not know that. What team was he with? Do you recall? Because I'll pull uh, his card now. Chris Simon? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a minor league expert, so... I would have don't to know actually. What I'm going to say I'm going to say Ottawa, but I'm not 100 percent positive. Uh, Look in the 67s; you might see. 
Chris Snell. Oh, Chris Simon. Yeah. Hey, kick ass. Yeah, there's another one right there. All right, Chris Simon. Good, good call, man. Yeah. So Chris Simon. So there's there's quite a few players in this set who went on to notable NHL careers. So to me, it's a fun set. I liked it as a kid. I like it as an I like it looking back. Okay, now the cards themselves. The best cards are honestly probably the last 20 cards are the best looking cards because they were taken during games. So the lighting is better and they're just more interesting cards. I mean, here's a card of John Slaney in an all-star game and it's a good photo. There's, a, you know, a couple cards of, um, well, one of Ian Frazier couple of Stephen Rice. Both of those guys went to the NHL, though, and uh, they didn't play as many games as these other guys we mentioned. But these are action shots that are, are in this set. And Keith Primo. So there's some, there's some like, pretty cool pictures in this set. Unfortunately, 90% of the cards are the players standing in the darkened rink and just standing oh, yeah, in the dark. The shot, they're off-center. They're, uh, they're weirdly moved to like either the side or the bottom. And, the action shots? Well, just some of the up close shots of like players' heads are in like weird positions. Yeah, there's some there's some definitely some like some photo selections that are odd. I I'll now, give you that. Speaking of odd photo selections, so the vast pretty much every card in the set is a vertical card. Except for three. Two okay. of them are coach cards. So they put assistant coaches on cards, and yes. they put both assistants on the same card, so they'd be side by side. Yes. But there's one player card that's sideways. Yes. And it's one of my favorite player names of all time. And you've got it. It's Kevin Butt. Kevin Butt. Kevin Butt. And you can't forget good old Kevin Butt and you can't forget that he is in this set the the continental hockey league legend really goalie legend Kevin Butt no Did, not really no. I'm making I'm making that up maybe in the Russian super a, league but the KHL wasn't around back then I'm pr I'm pretty sure he was uh um not a legend he was a goalie he didn't play. He played, he played a while. I mean, he was in the, let's see, that, that's what it was called. It was the Continental League, right? And then it changed it to like the United Hockey League. You're, well, no, you're talking about Russia or you're talking about? No, no, no. I'm talking about in the United, in the, in North America. Well, there was the, uh, let's what was, see. What was the United Hockey League called before it was called United Hockey League? Was it, colonial oh, colonial, colonial. That's what I was thinking of. Not continental. The colonial hockey league. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Because they changed their name because all the colonial league was was a bunch of goons fighting themselves all the time, and so they changed their name because they wanted to break away from that moniker. But mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so they became yeah. the UHL. Kevin Butt spent most of his time there. Never got a sniff in the NHL. Not even drafted. Nope. Not even signed as a free agent. But I think that would always have been cool to get a jersey of his that said butt on the back. But. <laughs> you can put it next to your Paris Doofus jersey. There you go. Do you remember him from the Peoria Rivermen? Yes. 
So the seventh inning sketch set um, has one card that I like to make fun of because it's just so effing terrible. I Before you say that, why was the Kevin Butts card horizontal and not vertical? Mm, what do you think? Because he is making a, a say, he's moving laterally. He's down okay. low and he's he's pushing from side to side. No so other they, card in that set shows a player doing that as far I, as the action shots go. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a couple of Mike Torcha cards that could have been horizontal shots because, like. He's making a glove save in one, and he's making like maybe a kick save or a stick save in another one. And so you look at that and say, that could have been a horizontal shot. There's a few goalie action shots that could have been horizontal. I just always wondered why that one. Why that one? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of weird inconsistencies with this set. Like looking at the Peterborough Pete cards, there's um, a lot of the, the shots are the players on the ice. But there's a mix-up of, like, kind of, like, waist-up shots and, like, knee-up shots, right? Where, like... Well, that's what I'm talking about, how they're off-centered. Like, look at Scott Campbell's card for Peterborough. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at that. He's only on the bottom half of the card. Yeah, he's on the bottom half of the card. There's a lot of empty seats above his head. And then I look at a couple of the other guys. They're standing in the locker room. And they look, like, super happy to have their photo taken but they just, they're standing in the locker room, like, you know, standing in front of their, their dressing room stall. It just, it's not a great And there's set. no consistency to it. Because like I said, the, you look at the Scott Campbell card and he's only on half of the card. But then you look at like Willie McGarvey, mm-hmm. for instance, a few cards in. Mm-hmm. That one's zoomed way in and it shouldn't be that close. Yeah, or 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 Coach Dick Todd who they just kind of cut his head off at the top. Yeah. That basically was a picture of all the coaches and they cropped it. So he was the only one in it. Yeah, that's probably, well, I guess so. It could, it, it could very yeah. well be that. I think they yeah. zoomed in and cropped it. It's interesting that also like the, uh, the Belleville Bulls team owner got his own card. Yeah. And well, cause uh, he was the, wasn't he the, like the GM of the league too, or something like that. He wasn't in president. charge president of the ohl no 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 that was david branch oh at that so, time yeah hmm. yeah I'm he was to... something else i think he was some kind of executive uh he could be i'm flipping through these you know trying to save myself from pulling every single card out of the pages but let's see here dr william sorry dr r l vaughn yeah. And he is the Bulls owner. Okay, well, you might be right here. Dr. Vaughn not only owns the Belleville Bulls Hockey Club, but also serves as chairman of the board for the Ontario Hockey League and yeah. as director for the Canadian Hockey That's League. That's what it was, chairman of the board. Like, that was remember. it. And a director of the CHL. Okay, he's, he's a pretty important dude. Yeah, he's a doctor after all. Yeah, and then they, they photographed him here against a blank wall. And yeah. I want to know where they got a wall that blank and that white because I can never find a wall this blank or this white. I know one year when the Hockey News wanted my headshot and I was like looking around my apartment trying to find a blank wall and I couldn't find anything that just didn't look 
as nice and plain and white as this wall that he's standing in front of. Well, that's also his headshot from when he was the uh, store manager of the Oshawa Walmart. So Well, in, in, in Oshawa, they call him Canadian Tire, but yeah. Although they have Walmarts there too, I know. <laughs> Canadian Walmart. Um, so anyway, so um, the one card that's really an outlier, horizontal shots notwithstanding... This one kind of like, you know, and it's like, you know, you're kind of like out of it. And you're like, yeah, I was probably opening packs and I probably was up past my bedtime. But I remember getting these home and wanting to open these right away and wanting to like sort them in a set and see if I got a set and see if I got Eric Lindros. And then like, you know, I was like probably like half asleep. And I remember then I pulled a card of a mascot, a horrible, doughy, oh, puffy cheeked, dark eyed. This- Mustache twirling monstrosity. This card card is a nightmare. It haunts your dreams. Dude, I seriously like when I it 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 it, like literally when I was like opening it, like I go like what the, you know like this caught me off guard. I was just I wasn't like terrified because I wasn't like you know ten, but I was still like this is an ugly like it was just a weird card for hockey. So the card we're talking about is the Casey Jones card from the North Bay Centennials. Yes, um, Casey Jones card he's, from he's, North Bay Centennials. Yes, he's their mascot, and Casey Jones being the engineer of the railroad in in the lore and the the songs and the poems and all of that. Um, I'm pretty sure he didn't look like a giant paper mache nightmare head wearing a train conductor hat. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say if if he actually did exist, um, he didn't look like that. He kind of looks like a paper mache puppet that's a cross between Lanny McDonald and Colonel Sanders. Wow. That's really mean to Lanny. Did, did, I, did I nail that? Was that, was that dead on? Uh, I see the Colonel Sanders part, but I was going to ask you this. Do you remember any of those um, sit in, uh, was it sit in Marty Croft shows? Like um, I'm too young to remember HR Puffin stuff, but I do remember the great space coaster. Do you remember that? Of course. Space coaster. How do you not remember HR Puffin stuff when I remember it? Maybe it wasn't on the air in Chicago when I was a kid. That's true. It was definitely on the air where I grew up. Well, that's the thing, though, is that, like, you you know, I mean, we had the Bozo Show. Did you have the Bozo Show? No, because it was on WGN, wasn't it? Right, exactly. So we, we didn't had, have that. Right. That was, we, we, had, we only had WOR, because that was the only superstation. And then WGN, oh. like, became syndicated, like, later 80s. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so um, Great Space Coaster, and it, you know, had these puffy-headed monster creature or whatever. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyways, this this looks like one of those one of those things. So it's it's frightening. It will yeah, it will scare your children. It will scare your children. Yeah. So there's uh, so that okay. So that's one bad card in the set, and then there's a checklist which is okay. There might be two checklists. Let me see. Uh, yeah, there's got to be two checklists because this one only goes. Yeah, because it's two hundred cards. It's like one through a hundred should be on one. And... The rest should be on the other. This one is 177 through 200, so maybe there's three checklists. I don't oh, know. Really? Uh, there's probably two checklists. 
on and on the back of this card, it lists out the divisions, uh, the uh, divisions and the teams in the divisions. Um, oh, it took up more space. That's yeah, why. they couldn't get it all. They couldn't get it all on on on. Here's okay. Here's our other checklist. Is up to one seventy five. Oh wait a minute, that's the second checklist. So yeah, there's three checklists. There's three checklists. Yeah. Good lord, I didn't one do my one for eighty eight, eighty nine, and then the one you just pulled. So. Think 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 about how Opeachy used to squeeze like one hundred and thirty two cards on a checklist, you know, and these guys can't even get a hundred cards on a checklist. Well. That's this is after, back. this is after all the ninety-one Fleer of hockey. So, come again. This set, it's the ninety-one Fleer of hockey. How do you figure? Because it's gross yellow color. Oh yeah, the yellow borders. We should really talk about those. So, not only were the borders yellow, but the wrappers were also a bright yellow to match the borders. Yikes! And. What's interesting about these wrappers is uh, that they say, um, well, the, the first thing that's interesting is that they're crimped at the top, kind of like score wrappers were. Um, they're actually printed on pretty thick, like, kind of like poly, but they were, like, pretty easy to, not easy to open. They were easy to open nicely without, like, splitting. So I saved a couple of these wrappers, but I remember that, like, this crimp at the top. I remember that I got one card that was crimped along the top. Um, it was oh, it had uh, the those, roller marks. Had the roller marks, you know, from you know how they crimp them when they like right. they they seal them at the top and the bottom. So right. it was it was Roche Belay who ended up being a Blackhawk minor league goaltender, and it was it, the card had the crimp mark at the top. And it was the only one of him that I got. And I was really, like, bummed about that. Because if it was a double, I'd be like, all right, at least it was a double. But it was the only card that I got. So, interestingly enough, the back of the wrapper actually has their address. So, I sent them the card. And I sent them a dollar. And I asked them to replace the card. Well, they replaced the card. They returned my dollar. And then they also enclosed a, I want to say they gave a little short thank you note, which I wish I had kept. I was going to say, do you still have that? Well, you know what? If they didn't send me a note, then I, I, I don't know. You know, I, there, it's weird, like the stuff that I decide to keep and the stuff that I decide to, to get rid of. Because I used to write letters to companies like in the 80s and 90s and ask them questions and for career advice and and whatever like i remember once writing to a video game company and saying hey you really need to make a sequel to this game and it, it was a game called rock and roll racing and i'm like you need to make a sequel to the game and you need to put these songs in the sequel and they like sent me back a letter it was blizzard before they came huge for world of warcraft and they uh sent me back a letter and they said you know thank you for your interest in our product thank you for liking our game at this time we have no plans of making a sequel to Rock and Roll Racing, which is unfortunate because it is really, really, really an awesome Super Nintendo game. Don't bother with the Genesis version. The music is not as good. The sound is not as good. Genesis is overrated. The SNES version, awesome. So I was that type of person who would write to companies. But in this case, I wrote to them and I just said, you know, can you replace this card? Here's a dollar to cover postage. And they gave me back my dollar 
they sent me a card in like mint condition. And then what was nice was that I was on their mailing list. So over the next couple of years, seventh inning sketch would send me stuff. Um, they made sets for all three major junior hockey leagues in 1991 and in 91-92. I remember in Christmas, for Christmas of 90, they sent me a card. On one side, it had um, Santa Claus in a giant skate. And on the other side, it had David Branch surrounded by a giant reef. David Branch was the OHL commissioner. So that was like, whoa, that was like a cool promo card or whatever, a Christmas card. And then like the next year for their 91-92 sets, they sent me a couple of sell sheets that like showed like what the cards were going to look like. And I think they sent me a couple of cards also. So it was just kind of neat to be on their mailing list at that point. Like even though I wasn't like a retailer who could buy stuff in that way. I just find it interesting that you were able to actually find packs of this guy. Packs of what? Packs of these cards, the seventeen sketch cards. Nowhere, nowhere where I purchased cards at that time had anything remotely close to this. And I only saw this set a few years later, and it was sold as a full set. So it came in like a white box, and like you, you, it was two parts, and you like opened the top of the box, and you could see the cards. They were like stacked across and wrapped in cellophane. And they were, they were sticker numbered, if I remember right. They were serial numbered. Like there were only, I don't know, 3,000 sets made or something like that of the full set. That's the only time I've ever seen them. I've never seen wax boxes of these. So you, okay, and you're talking about the yellow cards, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because um, I, I don't ever remember seeing the factory sets of those. I do remember... Uh, I mean, obviously, I remember buying a box of them, but I now the they they made another set that very same year. They made a set for the 1990 Memorial Cup. So the Memorial Cup set was 100 cards. It was a boxed set. Um, the four teams that were in the Memorial Cup that year were the Kamloops Blazers, the Kitchener Rangers, the Laval Titans, and the Oshawa Generals. And the notable players in this set, pre-rookie cards of Eric Lindros, again, Scott Niedermeyer, Martin LaPointe, Daryl Sador, Corey Hirsch, Gilbert Dion, Sandy McCarthy, Gino Ogic, Patrice Brisebois, Fred Braithwaite, and Paul Cruz. So there's a lot of guys in there who made it to the NHL. I think Cruz only had like 400-ish games. But at that time, if you played more than 400 I remember reading somewhere that if a player played 400 games in the NHL, they got a pension from the NHL. So to me, that in my mind, that was kind of always the indicator of if they had a significant NHL career. Not like they accomplished anything significant, like 400 goals or 600 assists or 1,000 points, but if they just spent a significant amount of time in the NHL. So to me, 400 was always that benchmark of games. So all of these guys obviously... Niedermeyer, Hall of Fame, Lindros, Hall of Fame, Lapointe, Sidor, um, uh, Brisois, all had very long careers. And then guys like uh, Braithwaite and Ajik and McCarthy uh, and, and Hirsch and Cruz played in the NHL for a while. 
Yeah. So and these yeah. cards are these cards were out of my radar too. In fact, I didn't even really know about these cards. But so yeah, they look similar to the yellow ones, only they're blue, and the design's slightly different. But yeah. it's still generally the same. It's generally the same, and what's interesting is that the OHL cards are printed on a white card stock, but the CHL cards are printed on a yellow card stock. Like, the front is full color, but then the back is, like, yellow. How ironic. The yellow cards are printed on white, and the blue cards are printed on yellow. Now, what's odd about these cards is that um, it is very possible to get miscut cards, because I bought a boxed set of these, and even though the front's lined up perfectly, like looking at a card from the front, you go, oh, yeah, that, that looks like a nice card. You flip it over on the back, and they're miscut. And I have no idea how that happens. They're misprinted. Because if they were miscut, I guess they would be printed pr- properly. Let me rephrase that. If a card is miscut on the front, it's also miscut on, miscut on the back. That's That's fair. Right, because you get the top. You kind of get too much of one card on another card, but then you flip it over and you kind of get too much of one card on another card as well. But this is weird. Like the ones that I got in this box set were weird. It's almost like the the front was printed and then they flipped the sheet over and they printed the back, but they were off by an inch and they just misstamped where the back was supposed to be. I have I have plenty of cards from olden days that are like that. Really? So it does happen, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I have plenty of tops cards from the mid mid to late seventies and also early eighties that the front looks pretty decent, and then when you flip it over, there's two cards on the back. Yeah. Wait. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. So what I imagine happens, and this is just me, they go through the printer, print it on the front, everything looks good. They flipped it over, and somehow it gets either fed through the machine too fast or too slow when the printing goes down. Hmm. That's just my theory. So uh, there was another... um, I was going to say here. So this set... uh, I mean, I I like this set as well because it has not only the guys that we mentioned in it, but, I mean, there's other guys in the set who went on to play at least a little bit in the NHL. Um... And then I was going to say that I, I'm Ajax trying to... Th- it wasn't in the other set. What's that? Ajik's in that one. Ajik's in that set. And then I want to say, like, what was the... Um, there was another Memorial Cup set. And I'm trying to... Now I'm trying to remember if it used the same... Ah, okay, yeah. The 9091. It's kind of funny that the 9091... Um, OHL set is, uh, sorry, the 1991, or I should say 1991, because it was the Memorial Cup the following year, uses almost the same design. I'm going to send you the link here, Tim. Um, oh, crap. I did not send that link to you. But anyway, so... Um, 91 set? Yeah, I know what they look like. The silver borders. Silver gray color? Yeah, but they have, they added a little trophy in the corner. And he scooted the name over to the side, but it's more or less the same design again. So they got really good. Uh, seventh inning sketch got really good at just like tweaking a design a little bit. 
and then rebranding it as an all new set. Well, I mean, in their defense, they sucked enough that they didn't last very long. So well, they lasted three years. And then another one I want to point out really quick, and I'll I'll definitely show an image of these cards. So the ninety ninety one Richmond Renegades set used the same design from the eighty nine ninety OHL set, but it used like a, uh, a red red borders or very could be like a red orange. Because the Richmond Renegades wore orange jerseys. So I'm thinking that maybe these are meant to be orange borders. Sometimes they look orange. Sometimes they look red, depending on the light that you look at them in. But it's basically the same design. But this was just for in uh, an 18-card team set that I think was given away at uh, Richmond Renegades games. So that brings up a good point. Because I've seen these two different ways. So going back to the regular OHL cards, the yellow Yes, ones. the yellow ones. I've seen them advertised and sold as 7th inning sketch OHL set. But then I've also seen them sold as 7th inning sketch team sets individually. And I've seen them marked completely different. But I've looked at all of those cards in either designation and I've not seen a difference between the two. Other than some of the images of the team set versions look like they have a little bit darker text on the back. Really? But I can't tell if that's a true thing or just the lighting of the pictures that I've seen. In now person, is, I've never noticed a difference. Is the numbering any different? No. Numbering's not different. The text on the back isn't different. The design is not different. But they so were that's sold why as I question. team sets. Yeah, they're sold as team sets rather than as part of the main set. So I didn't know if there was actually a difference between ones that may have been given out or sold at the team stores or versus the ones that were packed out in the packs or sold as part of the complete sets. Now, were these like poly bagged or shrink wrapped or in any way to make it? Anytime I've ever, anytime I've ever seen them, they're always shrink wrapped. Okay. And they're in that hard, that, that like really brittle shrink wrap like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. poly whatever it is like plastic right right uh, and that's how the complete set was too they were the teams each of the teams were wrapped together so i wonder if maybe people busted up the sets and were selling the individual teams in the by themselves i don't know could be i mean seventh inning sketch now you say that they were a uh, a crappy company that didn't last very long but they lasted three years and in that three year, it's they're kind of like a, a pro. Well, they're kind of like pro set in that they didn't last a very long time, but the volume of cards that they put out in that time was mind boggling. Because the next year, they put out an OHL set, a WHL set, a QM, a Quebec Major Junior Hockey League set, a Memorial Cup set. So they put out those four sets for 90-91. I mean, this is over a thousand cards here. And then in 91-92, they put out a QMJHL set, an OHL set, and a WHL set. So again, that's another like over a thousand cards. So um, and then they also put out the 1972 Team Canada set and the 1976 Canada Cup set. So they were prolific 
in that short amount of time. The only, the only 91-92 seventh-inning sketch card I think I have is that uh, that promo card, the, the bison. Yes, has the Randy Bison. Yeah, it has the hockey player who I don't even remember who it is. I don't think but that was meant to be anybody. It's probably it's like just... a painting. He's like skating in front of the the prairie. There's like the prairie in the background in, in Buffalo in the back. Now, thinking of that 91-92 set, and the 90-91 set was similar in design, because sometimes I confuse them a little bit. Um, you got to admit that the seventh inning sketch cards the following year, not these yellow-bordered ones, but the following year, they were nicer than the Topps cards from 90-91. You're talking the 91-92 or the 90-91? Either one. Full-color uh, picture on the front and back. A little yeah. more exciting of a design. Um, definitely tried harder. I mean, these 89-90 cards are Bush League. They're minor league cards. They're basically minor league caliber cards. They're no different than a, you know, than they look a lot like pro cards. Or if you ever bought any minor league baseball team set from the 80s, well, a lot of them were also made by pro cards. But you get the idea. They're just that kind of like color picture on the front, gaudy border, and then plain text on a plain background. But then um, the next season, seventh inning sketch really upped their game, and they were making cards that were arguably nicer than Tops, OPG, and Bowman. Uh, yeah, I guess you could make a case for that. I mean, if you like that design, I mean, if I remember, those are the ones with the stars in the corners mm-hmm. of the picture, where mm-hmm. it looks like it looked like a, like the picture was riveted. To the background with those little like gold star things um yeah the player picture on the back made made the difference because you instead of having just the plain back you had a another headshot of a player so you yeah. got to see them without their helmet and it was a different shot it wasn't just a close-up of what was on the front I mean, there's some oddities in that set, in those sets too, but I'll save those for another podcast because I, I could talk easily an hour on those because that was such a a uh, very ambitious project or undertaking. You know, okay, we're going to photograph every major junior hockey player in Canada and put them on a card. That's no easy task. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a lot of players get covered in these some of these minor league sets. So, yeah, so you, you end up, uh, yeah, so you end up with, you know, cards of guys that uh, played, you know, a little bit or significant amount of time in the NHL. So, yeah. So I, in closing, I just think this is a really interesting set worth talking about. I'm not going to tell everybody, oh, you should run out and buy this set. Um, because unless you're like a diehard fan, and especially if you're like a fan of junior cards, a fan of players in the 90s, you'll look at this and go like, oh yeah, I've heard of this guy. I've heard of this guy. But I mean, it's hard to get excited about a couple of Keith Primo cards unless you remember Keith Primo, you know, as an NHLer. Or excited to get about Eric Lindros or excited to get about, you know, maybe in the Memorial Cup set, you know, Martin LaPointe or um, Scott Niedermeyer. I mean, I think the Niedermeyer card is pretty cool just because guys in the Hall of Fame and this is the first ever Niedermeyer card uh, that was ever made. 
you know, it predates, this is 89, 90, or this would be, you know, spring of 90. And you think, like, he didn't really have any cards until, like, maybe spring of 91. He was probably in Upper Deck Series 2 for Upper Deck High Number or whatever. Well, he had the ill-fated ProSec card. Yes. So, Which is pretty awesome. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, unless you're a Lindros collector or you collect Hall of Famers and you have Scott Niedermeyer in there, I don't know many people that are, like, big Owen Nolan collectors or Louis DeBrusque. But you never know. You never know. So, all right, I think we've said everything we can say about this set of cards or these sets, this uh, Memorial Cup set and this OHL set. Just a fun little interesting um, uh, interesting set. By the way, if you listen to this podcast on iTunes or on Google Play Music or on um, Spotify or any of the other podcast providers, um, you might not see some of these pictures that we talk about. So I just want to mention this really quick. So actually, when I share this podcast on PuckJunk.com, I have images of all of these cards and stuff that we talk about. And I link to things that we talk about, like the game dated moment cards or the tops now stickers or whatever. Like I like to link to things just so you kind of like say, Oh, that's interesting. I want to know more about that. Now, if you're listening to this on iTunes and you look at the description at the bottom of the description, I always have something that says um, show notes, images, and links here. And that will actually take you to the blog post on puckjunk.com that shows uh, that that has the images and links. So I just want you to be aware of that. Um, that even though this is an audio only podcast, I do take the time to put some links for you and to share some images with you. So you know, hopefully, uh, you know, t- check those out if you if you haven't already done so, or if you didn't know about that, now you know, as they say, right? Because we are not just here to entertain. We are here to educate. Right. Educate and entertain. The the, the two E's of um, of podcasting? I don't know. And the more you know, because knowing is half the battle. And the other half? Um, the, the other half of the battle? <laughs> I, I don't know. I have no idea. So knowing is half is the it... battle, and battle is the other half. Battling is the other half of yeah. the battle. Knowing is half the battle, and the other half is actual battling. So, yeah, there you go. And battling so, is the other half of the battle. Right. Exactly. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the show. Please leave a comment or hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Puck Junk, and Tim is at The Real DFG. And, you know, talk with us, you know, shoot us an idea if you have one for a show, or just give us a little feedback. I know that you guys are listening because I can see the stats on that, but it's always helpful when you say, hey, we like this, or hey, we didn't like this, or hey, you should talk about this because that gives us ideas of things to say. Or hey, you guys were wrong on that, so you should fix and correct yourself, or you oh. just plain old suck. Either either one of those things is, is perfectly acceptable as well. I'm so. still going to stand by 97.98 Black Diamond being the first set with short prints. All right, well... Because that other set that was brought to our attention, it had different versions of the same cards. Uh, are we talking about the... No, we went back to Bowman, remember? Well, we, yeah, Bowman had short printed 
cards. But they weren't like one per box short prints. That other set, and I remember, I can't remember what it was, but the gentleman brought it up. And he left a comment. Was it Finest? Top's been, finest? Yeah, it was Finest. It was top's 95, finest. 96 Finest. Yeah, because the high, I think the high numbers were, um, were short printed. Okay. Or, or and, maybe serial numbered or something like that. And there were some that were like one per box, I think, but I want to yeah. say those were like gold versions and maybe they were silver versions that weren't as hard to get. I, finest were, I, I don't remember exactly, but I thought Finest were like the refractors or the, or the parallels. But yeah, I still think, I think the high numbers might have been short printed. So. Hmm. Okay. But so who knows? we could be wrong once in a while. Well, there were, let's just go with this. There weren't that many. So if it right. wasn't the first, it was one of the first. One of the first, right? Yes, exactly. All right. So, anyways, uh, you don't as claim said, to be perfect. <laughs> no, nor would we want to be. That would be boring. Exactly. So, anyway, uh, thank you for listening. As always, if you like the show, like and subscribe. Tell a friend. Consider purchasing a T-shirt at shop.punk junk.com uh this 25 percent off 25 off um and then also uh like i said hit us up um i'm on twitter at puck junk tim's on twitter at the real dfg and also visit his website which is what's the address oh it's a long one it's is uh it dog face gremlin yeah it's uh at blogspot.com so i haven't gotcha. come to the real world and switched over to wordpress or anything like that and so no, that's all right. Not. You can find me on Twitter. All my links are on there. There you go. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Until uh, next time, peace out. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.